Hi, this is Tina Powell, host of In The Suite, where I sit down with top women leaders and some of the biggest names in the financial services and the wealth management industry. Together, we'll discover some of their best secrets and top strategies to grow great business, build a strong brand, and lead teams in the 21st century. I hope you'll enjoy hearing their amazing personal stories of triumph, trepidation, and transformation in hopes of becoming better leaders ourselves. The time for you to lead is now, and you're in the suite. The name Angie Herbers is iconic in the financial services industry. Angie is the founder and chief executive of Herbers & Company. She brings over 20 years of experience in human capital management, leadership, and corporate financial strategy development to advisory firms. Angie and her team at Herbers & Company have worked with over 600 financial advisory firms, helping their clients to transform growth rates, expand profits, and maximize enterprise value. Angie is also a columnist with Investment Advisor Magazine, a blogger for ThinkAdvisor.com, and a frequent speaker at industry conferences. Investment Advisor named Herbers one of the top 25 most influential people in the advisory industry in 2017, 13, and 15. In today's podcast, you're guaranteed an emotional roller coaster ride. Angie shares with us very generously the details of her own personal life and the lessons she's learned along the way. Today's episode begins with a powerful story in which Angie talks fondly about her childhood, growing up in Western Kansas, the majestic experience of living in nature under the stars and looking at life through that lens. Angie admits that school was hard and then in the eighth grade, she was put in a class of applied mathematics in which she learned how to run business, among other things. As a result, with the support of her grandfather, who was a longtime entrepreneur, inventor, and engineer, Angie built her first business by the age of 14. But at age 18, everything changed. The unexpected and tragic loss of Angie's mother was a significant turning point in her life. It changed Angie internally and her relationship with money, and that set her on a path to where she is today. In fact, one of the many gifts that you'll discover about Angie Herbers in this episode is her passion for education and helping individuals and financial advisors achieve greatness at Herbers Company and now beyond. Never in a million years could I predict that Angie would break the news here exclusively in the suite announcing her next big venture, the Herbers Academy app. Herbers Academy is a financial advisory growth training platform now available via mobile app in addition to desktop. It provides subscribers with the most critical resources and knowledge required to promote growth within an advisory firm. Follow your heart is the philosophy that Angie has lived her life by. She is a creative entrepreneur at the core who believes everything and anything is possible. By the end of this podcast, you'll believe the same and feel inspired to take that next bold leap of faith in the suite. Wow, Angie Herbers, take a seat in the suite. It is so, so great to see you. I'm so excited for today's podcast. I cannot wait. How are you doing today? 
Really good day. Thanks for having me. It's exciting to be here. I have to tell you, I send so many to the so many people to the podcast. It's fun to fun to be on it. So thanks for having me. Wow. So you have been on my list from the beginning of time. My podcast coach will tell you we spent three to four months kind of engineering what the podcast was going to look like and sound like. That was Jen Glantz. In New York City, I took a podcast course at General Assembly. And the the thing is, and this is no disrespect to the guest earlier, you know, you're an icon in the industry. And I and I I think too, I know that I was very transparent with you and saying, Hey Angie, I'm a little bit nervous to have Angie Herbers on the podcast, right? Like you were one of the first guests on Michael's podcast and yeah, anyway, it was a little daunting. So, so try, quite truthfully, you were always on the list and I just needed to get to a certain amount of courage on the inside, which is what this podcast is really about to finally have the courage to say, Hey, and I didn't even have the courage to answer you directly. Initially, I went through Brandon and said, Yeah, do you think like she would get on the podcast? And he said, Yes, absolutely. And then I had the courage to reach out to you directly. Well, thank you. I appreciate you saying that. I I gotta tell you, I don't see myself as an icon. I just see myself as Angie and do what I do, right for the industry, work for the industry. So it's it's actually hard for me to hear that, but I just I love to serve advisors and and help people and I'm glad that it's resonating. So thank yeah, you for saying that. It is. And Meredith Moore, who was on episode 43 had so many wonderful things. She has been following you. There are a lot of women in the industry, Angie, who have been reading your thought leadership and following you for decades, decades. I know everyone, she doesn't look old enough as to be, as to use the word decades in the plural sense. Um, but you, you have, when I say iconic, uh, by that, Angie, I mean that you were on the cusp of just an entire body of, of knowledge, an entire direction, like just help to, from a practice management perspective, just figure it out and know where it was going and to, to be talking about it then. And again, you were so young um, when you started. So we're going to get into that. But I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you how the weather in Austin is today, because one of the things that I freak me out is the fact that, you know, you had that awful weather, the power went out and you were freezing cold. I saw, I remember reading it on your Twitter. It was a mess. Um, we call it snowpocalypse in Austin. So the, the weather today is beautiful. It's getting hot and the sun is shining, which is nice. When we were going through a snowpocalypse, I guess, it was an interesting time. It actually humbled me quite quite a lot. Um, I, I learned I became a princess. We, you know, we didn't have any power. We didn't have. I ended up running out of water halfway through it. The supply chain was broken, so there wasn't any food. And I was in my house alone, and I was thinking, how how am I going to get through this? So I thought, well, I'll just go get my ski clothes. I looked at my ski clothes and I'm like, how did my ski clothes get so fashionable? I just, <laughs> I just need to be warm. And then I started thinking about how I grew up and I grew up on a ranch in Western Kansas. It was 10,000 acres and how I was so blessed to have a father and a mother who treated me. I have two brothers, so 
they treated me just the same as the boys. Um, when they were, when the boys were out scooping snow, I was out scooping snow. And I thought to myself, you know, this is just reminding you of where you came from. Like you can go out and scoop the snow. You can start the fire. You can wrap your pipes so that they don't break. You can pre-order the water heater because you know, it's going to break. You can whatever, figure out what you need on food. And it was, it was a humbling time. I'm actually glad, glad we went through it. So mm, I have to pick up 10,000 acres. Where, whereabouts was that? It was out in the middle of Western Kansas. It's out in the middle wow. of nowhere. Oh yeah. my goodness, that is incredible. You don't hear that. You don't hear that origin story too often. Yeah. 10,000 acres. We had 10,000 head of cattle. I grew up, I tell people, I grew up in the stars. Hmm. The stars out there are beautiful. They're, you know, there's not much to do but work or, you know, be alone or be out in nature. And I think growing up out there, you know, your intuition gets somewhat finely tuned with nature. Mm-hmm. I was a five-year-old walking around an endless amount of land that I was able to see and be creative on and I remember as a kid chasing butterflies and I was obsessed with dragonflies. Um, I always thought dragonflies were interesting because they kind of, they have compound eyes so they can see all the way around and they come up to your face and they are like, they take the data. They're like, (laughs) (laughs) they're like analyzing you. And so anyway, it was just a great, a, a beautiful way to grow up. And I'm, I'm blessed to, to have been there. What an incredible reflection. So let's dive right in here. Um, you are founder and CEO of Herbers and Company. And I want you to, if, if also too, you can, you can kind of connect the dots because, you know, I want you to tell us about Herbers and Company, but for maybe the one person on this podcast right now, uh, that may be working in a different industry that doesn't know who you are, you've been here for a really long time. So you've just told the story about 10,000 acres in Kansas. And now nothing could be more, I think, different than, than where you are now from where you grew up. So if you could just tell us a little bit about the Herbers and Company and maybe link it. How'd you get here? And how'd you know to be here then when you started? Well, it's complex. Um, I'll do the best I can to share with you the story of where I came from and how I got here. But like all stories, there's quite a journey and there's ups and downs in that journey. So I'm just going to start with my parents. I my parents, they met when they were eight years old and they knew each other uh, for 24 years before my uh, mother passed away. And so I grew up in a family of quite a lot of love. And um, I was able to witness that growing up. Many people don't have such a wonderful opportunity. And so coming from where I came from, it fueled a lot of passion and heart and skills. My mother was, she uh, played in the symphony. She played the harp. So growing up, yeah, one of the things that was important to her is that myself and my brothers had a diverse set of skills. 
Mm. So my brothers were in sports, they were in music, they were in art. We, you know, we had nature, but the diverse set of skills was important. So I grew up playing the piano, playing the violin. I learned to sew. I had art. I had any skill that I wanted to develop. I was very good at sports. Track was my sport. And I, in this process of growing up, I just developed a lot of diverse skills. But I also, you know, being surrounded with a lot of love, I also didn't fail a whole lot because my parents would, you know, scoop us up and, you know, lift us up. And it didn't necessarily, they didn't necessarily want to see us fail. But when I was in the eighth grade, I was never great at school. And I, I don't know why. I don't know if I wasn't applying myself. I, I I don't know if it just wasn't interesting to me. But in the eighth grade, I, I failed math. And they put me in a class uh, my freshman year in high school. They put me in a class called Applied Mathematics. And it was for, there was only eight of us in the class. It was designed for people who they didn't think were going to go to college. And what they taught us was, um, how to apply money to your life, how to run a business, how to, it was all the financial um, wow. aspects of life. And that, that class and that teacher inspired me to push beyond just my own skills and talent. And I ended up starting a little business at 14 years old in my little town. And the business wasn't much. It was a concession stand at a ball field. This The city um, didn't want to run the concession stand. So I went and did this big proposal in front of the city council. And I said, I will buy the concession stand and I will run it and I will build this business. So I ended up getting this micro, I don't know, experience in running this business. On the flip side of that, my grandfather was a longtime entrepreneur. He was an engineer and he was also an inventor. Um, he was into the environment and how you protect the environment. And he built an EPA, the first EPA efficient burner for, a, I don't know if I'm going to say it correctly because I don't know the engineering terms, but for a boiler system. And he embraced me. He helped me. He mentored me. He guided me through building the concession stand. I ended up with, with six concession stands. So I'm a senior in high school and I've got this business. I'm essentially financially independent from my parents. I've got this business. I was um, doing really well in school. I was also a state champion track jumper. So I did long jump, triple jump. Um, I'd won a lot of awards in the state and I was just at the top of my game. And I was going into my senior year. I was two weeks away from graduating high school. It was the night of my scholarship awards. The goal was I would go there. We would <laughs> get my awards for scholarships and I would be off to college and life would be perfect in my perfect world. Well, driving to that awards cere ceremony, my mother was killed in a car accident. Uh, she was 43 years old. And that day changed my entire life, my entire um 
mental structure, my spirituality, who I was, how I was. In a sense, the easiest way for me to ex- to explain it is it it fragmented my brain. I mean, it just an an, an uh, experience like that changes who you are. Oh my god! So this is two weeks away from graduating high school. Um, in that two week period, first I was worried about my father because he had lived very little of his life without my mother. And so at the time, I mean, I was 18 years old at the time, I'm thinking, you know, I just lost my mom, but did I, did I also lose my dad? Because he's not the same either. Did I also lose my brothers because they weren't the same either, but mostly I was dealing with losing me, who I was and what I thought was important. In that two-week time period, we had the funeral for my mother. Uh, We had the burial for my mother. We had my high school graduation. We had Mother's Day. My parents were celebrating their 25th wedding anniversary, so we had a a big party planned already. That was done. And then I was jumping in the state uh, championships and in track not to mention I was also dealing with this is a town that I grew up in I was born there and now two months later I'm potentially leaving for college and I hadn't picked a college yet so I was still in this this major transition period and I went very very deep um, internally I just turned on the inside so I went to college, two months later, I went to college and it was, it wasn't an easy thing. Um, I told my dad that I wasn't, I, my dream was always to go to college, but I told my father, I, you know, I'm, I, I'm not going to go to college. I'm just going to, you know, try to, try to let this settle. And I, I do not know how my dad did this, um, but he just looked me in the eye and said, you can either fight me or surrender, but you're going to college. (laughs) And he put me in the car and he enrolled me in Kansas State University's business program. And I was off to college. So college was a great distraction for me, actually. Oh my God, of course, of course. And what order are you in the, with, you have two other brothers. I'm the middle, the middle child. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I go to college and I'm in the business program. I'm I'm struggling through school. It's all new to me. And I was the the only way I can describe it is I was searching. I was searching for myself. I was searching for what my life is now. I was doing it mostly internally. So I wasn't asking for any help. I wasn't really talking to anyone. I was just trying to figure it out on my own. And where my search led me to was the College of Human Science. Mm. I wanted to know about family studies, human services. I suppose if, you know, I did, I wasn't thinking this at the time, but I reached back. I suppose I was probably trying to deal with grief. And in the Human Science College, there was this program called personal financial planning. 
Mm-hmm. And it was of interest to me. And so I changed my major from business to family studies and human services and personal financial planning. And once I got there, I got surrounded by a small CFP registered program, a college that was a great interest to me that was helping other humans, servicing other humans. I was learning basic human needs. I was learning nutrition, family, psychology, human behavior, personal finance, investments, estate planning, all of this. And I still wasn't necessarily doing well in college. And then I had a uh, the major professor, uh, Dr. John Grable, he embraced my talent and he did something that um, I needed, but I didn't know I needed at the time. But he all he did was encourage me. He really encouraged me. He pushed me to work a little bit harder, to, to study a little bit harder, to talk uh, to him. He always had an open door policy and he, he very much helped me in many ways that I don't know that Dr. Grable will ever <laughs> be able to realize. But he entered me into uh, me and a team. So me and two other people into a new competition in the advisory industry that was sponsored by American Express. And the goal of the competition it was the first competition. Um, the goal of the competition was we got a, a personal financial plan, a detailed plan. We had to solve that plan and then submit it to, I don't remember if we submitted it to American Express, but submit it to American Express. And then they picked the top six plans. And so myself and the team that I was on, we stayed up nights. Um, We didn't have any planning software that we were using. So we were using our calculators and Excel time value of money calculations. And, you know, we developed this whole basically program for financial planning. We solved that plan. It was all the components of the CFP board. It was investment. It was estate planning. It was retirement planning. We put together this big, thick financial plan we submitted it and we got, our team got selected as the top six. So from there, they flew us to New York. We went to, to New York. We stayed in the World Trade Centers. This was in 2001. Oh my we went, God. Yeah. yeah, we went over to the American Express building, which I believe if my memory serves me correctly, across the street. And we got in front of three judges. I don't remember the third, but one was Catherine Vestness, uh, Bob Clark, and I don't remember the third. Um, I wish I wish I did. <laughs> uh, we got in front of uh, three judges. We had 20 minutes to present the entire financial plan, and then they selected a winner. What was amazing about that experience is at the time, Financial Planning Magazine was there. The Journal of Financial Planning was there. Investment Advisor Magazine was there. The Wall Street Journal was there. Um, the New York Times was there. And anyway, my team or the team I was on, not my team, the, the team I was on and uh, myself, we won the, the whole competition. Amazing. Yeah. So that just that small win um, in college 
started down this path of loving the advisory industry, what it stood for. Also, just me researching deeper what businesses look like in the advisory industry, how how I can be of service to the advisory industry, how we can, how I can change lives, how I could could help people. So I went down this track of wanting to be a financial advisor. I accepted a job with Cheryl Garrett at the Garrett Planning Network after wow. I graduated. Yes, Cheryl is incredible. Yeah, she's an amazing human. Um, I I can't, I mean, I can't thank her enough for the great mentorship that was given to me both through her network and through her planning practice. But I was still, there was something inside of me that was calling me. And, and the only, as ridiculous as it sounds, it's, it was truly a calling. I was 23 years old. And can I just say that this doesn't, this isn't ridiculous at all. I'm having a hard time holding it. Oh, no, in a good way, in a good way. Um, it, it helps to explain, it helps to explain why you're so good at what you do. Oh, because it is a calling Angie. It's a calling and it's not like, so those people who it's not stupid at all. And if you think it's stupid, then don't listen to the podcast. (laughs) You know, um, no, these are stories of, these are origin stories of, of how people get to where they are and why they're here. And what you just shared is just, it's an emotional, it's an emotional journey. And so I want to just thank you very much for sharing. I definitely want to let you continue on your story. But it's why you're here. It is a gift. You are a gift. And you were you were meant to be here at this time. And I've just learned so much about you in the, you know, the the third whatever 15, 20 minutes that we've been talking already. So I have just I have enormous respect for you and the power of your story. And I just thank you. Thank you for recognizing the calling inside you. Thank you for recognizing the calling inside you that said, you know, it's something is still still not right. When I was working for Cheryl, I was very much conflicted. Should you go be a financial advisor? And I had also investment advisor had put me on the cover of their magazine with two other young advisors. And it said, you know, the faces of planning, the new faces of planning. So there was some pressure within me to make the choice to be a financial advisor, but that choice uh, still wasn't right. And and I got to give, Mark Tiversion doesn't know this, but I got to give him credit. He, I was reading a lot of the trade publications at 23 and, and I got uh, to know the trade publications because Cheryl uh, was in a, a lot of them. And, you know, I'm watching her great success and I'm thinking, you know, that here's a very strong woman who has, is providing me mentorship that I probably wouldn't get. And it's, and I'm, and I certainly don't have it on the other end of the phone anymore. Um, And so I started reading all the trade publications and Mark Tiburgeon wrote an article uh, about the definition of success. 
And he, he, that article, his words changed me. I, I wanted to start a consulting business to help financial advisors, but the odds were very small. First, the market was very small. The average size firm uh, advisory firm at the time was 400,000 in revenue. Wow. Um, They likely didn't have a whole lot of money. This is what I was telling myself. The story that I was telling myself likely didn't have a whole lot of money for me, for me to make a very sustainable business out of it. Um, I knew it would probably be financially better for me to go, you know, start an advisory firm and, go after a bigger target market. Back then, I didn't know about the valuations that they advisory firms could ultimately produce. But I read this article from Mark Tversion, and it was a definition of success. And it lives, the my definition of success still sits above my desk. I'm going to read it to you in a minute. And I sat down. And I, again, this is a spiritual journey that I was going through, um, I sat down and I started to look back on, you know, the last five years of my life, being in college, losing mom to some degree, losing my dad, us all being different and finding this financial planning career. And also the pressure on me that I felt I had to be a financial advisor because I had won this award and, you know, then, then I'm on the cover of this mess. <laughs> like, how can I abandon being a financial advisor and go start a consulting business to help advisors? And how could it possibly succeed at 23? So I sat down and I wrote myself a letter. I'm going to read this letter to you because I hope that this letter changes people's lives, but it, it became my definition of success. I'm feeling my heart is pounding. <laughs> like I don't like to talk about myself sometimes. And I feel like I've gotten kind of deep into talking, but I'm just going to go with it. Um, this is this is all about, and we started out the podcast, you know, that this is all about changing lives. This is why, you know, it was started. Because there's a narrative that's list, that's missing right now there's an and I love the I love the industry but there are conversations that are missing from the vernacular right now those conversations you know sometimes they get done and sometimes they don't right sometimes it's two women or women and a guy talking or small groups of people and just in the same way that you said that your your mentor in in college the person that took an interest in you was just there to just say hey you know angie like just to encourage you and that's what this podcast is it's what you're saying right now is going to encourage somebody is going to change a life and that's why you're here that's why you've you've so generously given of your of your time so after mark's article i sat down and wrote a letter to myself and it has guided my, this my 20th year in the industry and has guided my journey all the way to here. And let's see if I can actually do this. The letter says, Dear Angie, if you want to make a change in your life, you must first understand that every choice you make is uncertain. 
The only way to make things a little less so is to follow your heart. You know that leadership begins with trusting. So why not trust your own? You have learned tragically that life is short and that people matter. If you stay focused on those you want to serve, your destiny will serve you. In doing so, success and failure are inevitable, but they will follow, not lead you. The success may or may not come on the timeline you project or want or desire, but focusing on whether or not you will fail or succeed is breaking your own heart unnecessarily. If you want to serve financial advisors and not be one, let it be. Trust it and surrender. And then I started a consulting business. (laughs) 20 years ago. 20 20 years ago. Per person company. That was so... Here we are. I'm going to listen to that. I'm going to transcribe it. I'm going to mount it. (laughs) That is such a powerful statement with powerful words. What words... I have no words. There's, there's, I, I can just say that I'm completely honored. Gratitude. The fact that you just shared that is, um, is just amazing. Uh, it, it helped me just even, even hearing that. I've told, I, you know, I don't, <laughs> again, I'm not very good at being vulnerable. Usually I'm you know, I've learned self-leadership only because I had to. I mean, I had to. Yeah. It wasn't a choice for me, especially, you know, what I, what I had gone through quite young. And when you hit a certain point in your career that you actually never thought you would even make it to, 20 years, you start to like reflect back on how far you've come and the service to the industry or those that you help then becomes a lot deeper and and how can you help more i will tell you i mean if i'm if i'm being honest i that that is my definition of success it's to be and to let be and trust it and surrender but it didn't just happen overnight it took me a lot of years to trust my own leadership to trust what I was writing in the industry to let in the belief of what I was doing to, to materialize as the human that I am. And it never ends. I mean, I'm still practicing. Well, thank you very much for saying that, that it never ends, right? That it's not like the destination is that it's a continual journey. And right. You know what? You've celebrated 20 years of your business and you are flanked by two industry greats as well. Jared Upton and Brandon Moss, both are highly respected in the industry, have incredible vitae's, that of which working for United Capital. And so I want the listeners right now to understand that Angie has a company that's not just Angie and that you are a a respected thought leader in the industry. So to hear you just say that every now and then, like, you know, leadership is something that we constantly evolve in. It's part art, it's part science. And 
we need to recognize that we don't ever want, we, we solve one problem, Angie, and then we're off to something else will show up. Certainly. There's always something. <laughs> yeah, there is always something. So I'm thanking you because this is only my fourth year in business. And I'm, and, and Mark will tell you reading, I'm working on it. I'm working on myself and I'm giving back to the team and, and the clients and trying to do a better job. From my perspective, you got it figured out. I'm watching you. Like I think about Meredith Moore. I did listen to her to the podcast and she had mentioned that she had been watching me for the last 10 years. And I'm thinking yeah. in my head, I'm gonna say this out loud so she knows this, but I'm thinking in my head, I've been watching her. <laughs> like I think what goes around comes around. And there's a lot of advisors and women in the industry that actually have inspired me is as much, maybe even more maybe than I've inspired them. They just don't know it. Cause I, I don't think people talk about where their inspiration comes from, or it's hard to share what you're watching and sometimes what you're looking at and what you admire in others. That's, that takes courage. I, I think. And courage is hard. You have formed some foundational concepts that I, I want to give justice to while we're here in the suite, like Diamond Teams and like what your consultancy does. Yeah. Let me just first begin by saying, for those who don't know, Herbers & Company is a full-service strategy management and innovation consulting firm specifically to independent advisory firms. And I want to say on a professional note, but also a personal note, what drives Herbers and Company is not just me. I have Jared Upton, who stands uh, beside me. He's a senior partner in Herbers and Company. Uh, I'm blessed to have Jared Upton. I don't know if, if any of you have ever had the opportunity to talk to Jared Upton, but he's one of the kindest humans mm. on this planet I tend to be a little bit more emotional. I don't know how he holds himself so well together. And I'm so grateful. Also beside me is uh, Brandon Moss. Brandon Moss and I have known each other for nearly 25 years. And and in fact, we competed against each other in the American Express competition. No way! Yeah, so I've known Brandon forever. I never knew that I would have the opportunity to be able to work with Brandon, but Brandon stands beside me. And Brandon is, you know, I'm very creative and innovative, but Brandon is, he is a star beyond Mars. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how he comes up with the innovations that he comes up with that really helps advisors. And it's just a blessing to have those two individuals, key leadership um, standing beside me in Herbers and Company. So with that, over the years, what Herbers and Company, its goal is to, to make growth happen and modernize an industry that is growing. So when we look at what we do for advisors, we're we're not only solving individual uh, problems and opportunities for individual advisory firms, but our goal is also to solve big industry issues. And one of the issues that was clear when I entered the industry was that there was career path path issues for for students who are graduating from CFP registered programs. And even still today, the industry, many people in the industry do not know that 
there are trained CFPs in four-year universities, undergraduate, graduate, and PhD programs to be a personal financial advisor. It's deep knowledge in finance, uh, personal finance, and deep knowledge in also human science, how money drives behavior. So Diamond Teams was uh, an innovation in Herbers and Company in 2013. And the goal was that we were going to try to solve a career path issue, a succession issue through the foundation of organizational structure. Many firms wanted to transform from solo firms or siloed firms into ensemble firms. And Philip Palaviv has done a lot of great work in the ensemble leadership structure, G2. When we were, when Herbers and Company was looking at this particular issue, which was career path issues, we got to thinking if we wanted to build strong advisory teams, then one issue that we have, especially with fast-growing companies, is how do we get a young advisor trained fast enough to go to a lead advisor or sometimes now called service advisors to senior advisors fast, in particular, those who have graduated out of CFP register programs, not those financial advisors that have a different type of education. So Diamond Team started out as a big mess. What we did in outlining how are we going to solve this career track organizational structure issue and training issue and potentially succession issue at the same time, we had to approach how advisors get trained and and also how they move up in the organizational strategy. So what we came up with, and again, this was a, a long process, we like to go through, take the time, sometimes it's years, take the time to make something that's very complex, quite simple, so that advisors can, in a sense, implement it on their own if they choose not to ask for help um, on the consulting side. And Diamond Teams became the, the structure. Ultimately, how Diamond Teams evolved is, so I'm just going to explain a Diamond Team to you. A Diamond Team is, it looks like a baseball diamond. It does not sit in a hierarchy. So we don't have senior advisor at the top. It sits in a team where everybody is equal. So a diamond team, you're looking down on it. It's like this. Mm. So looking down on a team, we've got all, we're not looking at levels of experience. We're looking at how do we all work together with the common goal of growth, not stopping in an organization. And we're able to train young talent to move up the career chart or career ladder. So what we came up with is when you have an associate advisor, which is, if we are looking at the diamond straight up, an associate advisor is down here. We've got two lead advisors and a senior advisor at the top. Okay. So we've got a diamond, looks like a baseball diamond. So a senior advisor would be on second base. Right. Lead advisors or services advisors would be on first and third. And then at home plate, we had an associate advisor. Okay, now I want you to think about this because a, a di- the diamond came out of a lot of my background and our own research on family studies. But if you have two parents, you learn a lot. If you have three parents, you learn even more. So if an associate advisor had three mentors mm. versus two, 
how fast could we speed up their knowledge? Well, it would be dependent upon how much they could retain, but it would also be dependent on how much they absorbed. Mm-hmm. So what we did with the associate advisors, we said the associate advisor doesn't need to come into the industry and learn all of the technical skills because they learn those in college. But what they don't yet know how to apply is how to take those technical skills and communicate them to a client and show a client, particularly one of high net worth, that they are capable of working with a high net worth client, even though they are 25 or 30 and have not experienced the net worth yet themselves. So what we did is we created a diamond team, the associate advisor at the bottom of the diamond, all their job is, is to attend as many meetings as possible over and over and over again, so that they observe how communication is delivered to a client And then after they do the observation, practice communicating with the client, then they take their technical skills that they learned in college and they apply it to work with clients on their own. What we learned is we can take a 23-year-old CFP registered program graduate, we can put them at the bottom of a diamond team, and we can um, have them working with high net worth clients and earning their trust within 18 months. So the diamond team concept was a career track to move young advisors up as fast as the firm was growing. So we never necessarily ran out of advisors. We would just hire young advisors and move them up the track as fast as we could. Now, from there, Diamond Teams took on a whole new life of its own. It began to solve succession issues. It began to solve training issues. It began to solve key metric issues, revenue per professional, revenue per staff. We saw it start to scale um, how many clients that a firm could actually or a group of advisors could actually hold. And what we learned is that the Diamond Teams organizational structure gained revenue. The power of four is greater than the power of one. It didn't burn out advisors because now you're sharing clients across a group. So that lowering of stress actually fueled more energy into um, the system. So it helped with revenue. It gained us some scale on the profit margin, which was in the capacity. And now I do believe although it's hard to track that, the diamond teams are maximizing valuations because for the firms that are focusing on working with all size clients, as opposed to just high net worth, diamond teams allow some diversity in the client base within those teams. Right. right. And allow your clients too, right? Because when the people, when the advisors leave, that's when the assets leave. And so if you have the stickiness, if you have this retention of these diamond teams together and everybody's staying there and that client has been, oh, there hasn't been one person in my relationship. It's been 
th- uh, three people in my relationship, then also too, even as a client, Angie, I'm more likely to stick with the firm because it's like, oh, okay, that other person left and, you know, deciding to move on for whatever reason. But hey, Angie, Jared, and Brandon are still here. <laughs> right. Well, and that, I mean, the most important thing too, is it didn't necessarily attach a client to hmm. one specific advisor. So it it solved those advisor breakout issues within independent firms. And, you know, a lot of the firms that we have worked with on diamond teams, now there's a lot of diamond teams out there that the white paper, uh, when it went out in 2013, really took off. And I'm going to tell you, we've never seen it bigger than what we saw in the pandemic organizational structure and the virtual environment very much took off because the virtual environment um, does require teaming. You know, one of the things that you had said was this kind of 18 month period. There were a couple of questions that I had as you were describing diamond teams is that number one, is every CEO willing, willing to now have that diamond team career path in, in place? Right. And number two, is that like, Obviously, every firm is different from firm to firm to firm, but I did see both the younger advisor struggle with the upper echelon client, as well as I saw it from both sides where the upper tier client, the ultra high net worth, even high net worth said, hmm, is that person's going to be, hey, it doesn't look like they have enough. There would be a few wisecracks here and, and there. So question number one is every organization is every leader capable and secure in themselves that they would be willing to adapt a, a new environment? And number two is that 18 months is me being on a diamond team. Could that differ for me? Because maybe personally, I have to get over some hurdles. I have to get over some of my own confidence issues to be able to sit with an ultra high net worth client and command the room. Yes. Yeah, so great questions. Every person in in their career is different though the way one person evolves is not the same as another person involves but what a diamond team was designed to do was have the herd protecting everyone in the herd and helping everyone in the herd and encouraging everyone in the herd i will say this so when the diamond team's white paper went out and it took off. There were a lot of people that did go ahead and implement diamond teams in their practices that weren't working directly with Herbers and company. And then we would get calls, which was great information. We would get calls and say, this isn't working. And the first question that we asked is what is the culture within the diamond team? Mm. Is it encouraging or is it telling them what to do? Because what we know is that the encouragement of you can do it you can work with a high net worth client. I've got your back. I'm here with you. Here's what I've seen. Here's how I can help you was fueling even more the training that those young advisors were getting. So you can have dysfunctional teams, right? And it doesn't matter if you have a dysfunctional team, it doesn't matter how they're teamed up. It's just dysfunctional. We have to change the communication. But once the communication is changed and how we look at helping others within our organization and not competing with others, such as like a system of silos, you you have your book and your book only and you're growing and growing and you're compared to the other 
um, person over here who's growing and growing and growing. Once you get on the same page and you're no longer competing or comparing, then we saw that encouragement happen and that the, the power of the team start to take, take fold. So again, it depends on every young advisor. It depends on every leader and their willingness to focus on ensuring that we aren't comparing and or competing and we are instead developing and building a culture within those teams that is encouraging and training. Yeah, you said the magic word. And so here's the thing. And this is going back maybe, I don't know, five years ago. Like one of the, again, hearing your name when you're not in the room is J.D. Bruce from Abacus Wealth Partners. And so we both served on TD Ameritrade's advisor panel, and he was singing the praises of Diamond Teams. And I always knew Abacus Wealth Partners to be like a very creative, collaborative culture. Uh, he was the first person that said, yeah, I hired barista training. Yeah, we we have this like ultimate coffee service. He was talking about yoga events. We had Mary Beth Storja on the podcast like way early. So it kind of helps to explain how certain, I would guess, innovative cultures at that time, like Abacus, and they still are, that whole mindset of being very creative and very innovative. And what does your culture look like? And do you have the culture that really supports these new ideas and these fresh ways of doing things that now I feel that a lot of advisors, they have been leaning in more towards, especially the pandemic, they had no choice. Right. There wasn't a choice in the pandemic to lean into those cultures. We'll get to trends in a minute, but I think that a lot of that was driven on what we're seeing in trends right now in the advisory industry. I want to speak to Abacus for a minute. Abacus has a very unique culture. It's one that I have not um, necessarily seen before where they do deeply care about the employees and service and service to the clients and JD, I was I was lucky early in my career to come across JD, and I'm grateful for him singing the praises of Diamond Teams. Abacus put their own stamp on Diamond Teams, which is which is great, and and took the Diamond Teams concept and then built this even more wonderful culture for advisors out there and other advisors to join them, and it's. It's been a great journey to watch Abacus go through. The, they were an early adopter of Diamond Teams to, to look at them and how they've adopted them and moved it forward. So yeah. and made it their and made it their own. A, di- a Diamond Team at Abacus is not exactly like the white paper, but we see all sorts of firms taking their culture and what they're trying to do and putting it on top of the the initial culture of what we were trying to create through through career pathing with with diamond teams. Yeah, he taught me, he inspired so much, so much of what we did at, at Beacon Wealth Management. Hey listeners, you can now text me at 201-581-3983 to join our text-based community in the suite. After you do that, I'll be lifting you up, inspiring you, and supercharging your life and your career with awesome quotes, resources, videos, and tips we learn from our great guests. It couldn't be any easier. Just text 201-581-3983 to join. 
the attention to wellness seems like it's a big trend, but I think it was trending even before the the pandemic, right? This whole idea of wellness now not being detached. And so I remember that they had built in all of the COVID resources and they weren't just regular types of resources. They were providing m- mental health ca- counseling, if I remember correctly. And it really did make me stop and pause. The pandemic was a point in time that either you're going to define your leadership, either you're going to double down and try things that might not have been so conventional. Maybe some of it worked, maybe some of it didn't, but it was your time as a leader to show up and show out. Yeah, for sure. We started to see the health and wellness, the mentality of health and wellness come about early in the century. I mean, I remember reading about mental health and wellness in cultures when I was just starting out in consulting. There was a whole management culture in the 1990s within the financial services piece that actually drove independent advice. Independent advice moved out of those big cultures and said, we're going to focus on the health and wellness and doing right by the client, which is why the in, industry, the independent advisory industry, as I understand it, started to, to be developed. What, what didn't happen is the health and wellness of the culture and in the employees. And it wasn't necessarily needed at the level mm-hmm. that we need it now because we right. had really small firm, independent advisor firms. Now we have multi-billion dollar RIAs. Every year, for as long as I can remember, the number of RIAs in the U.S. has increased. So we're looking at an industry that's very much now becoming a professional services industry and focusing on health, wellness, and culture because it's it's needed and the firms are a lot bigger. But, and here's a big but, the pandemic just sped it up. Mm. That's all it did. I, you know, early on in the pandemic, Upton is a very insightful person. And early on in the pandemic, him and I were having a conversation of what is going to happen? Like, what do these advisory firms really need? We've got a certain group of advisory firms out there who are focusing all on growth and marketing. We've got a certain set of advisory firms who are now turning toward inorganic growth strategies. What do they really need from an organic growth strategy? And we didn't have an answer at the time, but the the clients answered for us. It was an organizational structure that focused on uh, health and wellness. And we just happened to have diamond teams, but we also, you know, not diamond teams might not work for every firm. So we also have the power of the creativity to develop and build a organizational structure that works for all sorts of uh, structured firms. So we saw mental health and wellness rise Mm. to the top. And I can tell you, so the number one trend that Upton Moss and I are watching right now is advisor turnover. Mm -hmm. And I would encourage every advisor firm to be watching that within their own firms and within the industry. We know that you know, we know that when advisors get burnt out or over capacity, they will abandon the work. So they won't say, I'm just burnt out. I need to take a break. I need some help. What they will do is they'll say, I don't want to do this job anymore. 
Sometimes they'll change careers or sometimes they'll just jump to other firms. And it's, I guess this is a word of caution, but it's remarkable how many people are reaching out to Herbers and Company to start their own firms. I mean, you've got burnout coming from the pandemic. You've also got skyrocketing valuations. Mm-hmm. And what are advisors thinking? They're tired and they're earning you know, a good living, but the owners of this firm are making a ton of money on valuation and I'm providing the work. So why not just go start my own firm? Mm-hmm. I think the trend that that the industry needs to put a, a very close watch on is the turnover of those service advisors, not necessarily leaving the industry, although that's an important thing to, to look at, but those service advisors leaving their firm to start their own firm. Very, very, very interesting. I've seen some of those service advisors not have an equity stake in the business at a time when they should have. And then by the time that they want to leave, it's kind of it's kind of too late. Do you have any ideas around that? Is it I agree that some are going to just say, hey, the heck with it. You know, I can I can do this. So even if they could were given an equity stake in the business or buy into the firm, then some are just going to say, hey, I know how to do, I could do better. Hey, if this is a if this is a mathematical equation, if this is a valuation, I can make it very, very attractive. What my boss just did in 15, 20 years, I can do in five. We had a lot of young advisors to do that. Um, I mean, look at XYPN, the massive growth of XYPN oh. and how they're they're changing an industry. Holy uh, those, are they? Right. Those advisors are coming up with amazing new, not only tech innovations, but pricing structure inter- innovations, new service models. So in every industry, you always have the risk from within. A lot of consultants are talking about how disruption often happens outside of the industry. I actually think that disruption in the advisory industry is very much like a Trojan horse and the horse is already in the industry. It's coming in and it's filtering from a lot of very innovative firms and coming, coming out of the industry, not necessarily from outside the industry. And so the point that I'm, that I'm making here is we've got two things going on. Partnership structures and creating partnership tracks is not for every firm and every firm owner, and that's fine. But to keep those service advisors at the firm, you're going to have to offer some compelling culture Hmm. and or compensation structure uh, to keep them there. That's first. The second thing is, is if you do want to offer um, partnership structures or strategies behind those partnership structures, it's a bit complex in the advisory industry. So it's a matter of looking at all your options. Many advisors come to Herbers and Company and they already have the solution to their partnership structures. They just want validation. And we'll ask them, are, are you sure this is what you want because there are hundreds of different options out there on how we could structure right. this. And we might be able to get you, you know, what, what you really want better by looking at this differently. So we want to know how open you are here. Advisors by nature are DIY. I mean, they're, 
they're do-it-yourself, they're great planners. And so they will have a propensity to begin to plan out their own business succession and our own partnership structures. And they've got the knowledge to do it, but sometimes they aren't all that objective in looking at their situation and they might not know all the options very much like, you know, individual consumers don't know all their options with, with money. So again, there are so many factors that are coming into what I would consider a perfect storm in the industry right now. And the pandemic just opened it wide I mean, it just opened up the possibilities wide open. And now we've got a lot of movement or starting to see a lot of movement movement with service advisors who want to start their own firms. We had already seen movement in the next generation on innovating tech and also pricing structures of how services are offered. And now we're seeing even more on uh, valuation and proprietary tech uh, in the industry that we've seen a remarkable amount of advisory firms say we're going to utilize the resources that we have to build our own proprietary technology, to build our own client experience. And and Joe Duran and United Capital is one of the leaders in this, to build our own client experience to to maximize our valuation. The future of the industry is wide open for interpretation, but we have a lot of change happening. And I think that it's important for advisory firms to know that there are a lot of options out there, but to say it's not going to change or that it's going to remain the way that it has in the last 10 years, there hasn't been a, a whole lot of change. There's been change, but not a whole lot of change post pandemic is not wise. So does an advisor call on the services of Herbers and company is there a certain like sweet spot or ideal client profile? I know that if I'm an advisor and I'm listening to this right now, I want to be able to head off the the headwinds here that are already here. Like I'm already in the perfect storm. What do I do right now as an advisor? And I know this is such a generic question, right? It depends. It depends on the size of the company. It depends on the firm and it depends on that. But what would be the one thing that if I want to insulate myself or if I want to protect myself, or at least I want to know what's coming, what do I do now, Angie, that's different from how I've been doing things all along? Great question. And I don't have an answer, a general answer, but I know what question to ask. And every advisory firm to me in the industry right now, needs this, the leadership needs to sit down and answer this question. How can we make what we have better? Hmm. Just the way that the advisory firms get compensated, it can create some complacency. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but you have a recurring revenue stream. If the clients don't want to talk to you and they're happy, that, that complacency can happen. That can go into your culture and spread across advisors and even spread into leadership. But now is the time for leadership to sit down together and, and ask that question, how can we make what we already have better? Mm. And don't limit your answer. It can be everything from 
a different client experience. It might be expanding from only working from ultra high net worth to the mass affluent or working with all clients mm-hmm. or adding a different pricing structure or, I mean, there's, there's all sorts of things that can happen, but the firms who are answering those questions, those questions and keep asking them are the ones who are, are changing with the industry as opposed to being left behind. That's really super great advice for any business that you're in. I, I heard Reed Hoffman on Masters of Scale talk about a concept that's related to this suggestion. If you were going to start your business and then you were going to talk about your business and then you have that ground level and then it said, okay, what if you double down on that? What if you triple down on that? What would it look like if the fourth degree of that, the fifth, and he went all the way up to the 10th and the 10th would, from a client experience, would be totally over the top and it would be something that you'd really have to push your brain in order to reach that state. But for me, I think just allowing yourself to think, and you and you just said it, Angie, just allow yourself to dream what's possible. Right. You're not doing it tomorrow, right. but at least to allow yourself to just think and explore what that looks like. Too many times I've been in a room full of people that are talking about issues and doing some sort of brainstorming and one person says something and then bam, it's kind of like cut off. I think everybody in a room has to have an agreement before they start. Okay, look, we're going to talk and a lot of ideas are going to be off the wall and that's okay. I've participated in so many of these brainstorming sessions and trying to pull out the best and all of the advisory firms that we have the privilege of working with. And many people in the room will ask a question. They ask how, Hmm. how is not important. (laughs) Right. Right. Then they ask why. Mm -hmm. And that is an indication of a, problem with your vision. Mm -hmm. If you can't answer why you have a vision problem, go solve that problem and then come back. Mm. But the question many advisory firms should be asking after they answer, how can we be better is when. Mm. Mm, Right. Not not how, because if the why is strong enough and then you'll figure out the how is also too, right? What they say. It's easy when you know why and when. Yeah. We know why we're doing this. We want to get better. When do we need to start? Well, we need to quit procrastinating and just take one small step. I had a conversation with an advisor the other day and he said, you know, we're climbing a mountain here. And I said, no, we're not. We're just taking one step. Don't look at the mountain. Mm. Like We're just taking one step. How do we make the first step? Mm. And that it's important to keep it in perspective because if you look all the way at the top and you see... And this kind of goes back to my definition of success when I was trying to decide whether or not to continue being an advisor or become a consultant. I was looking at, will I get to the top of the mountain? Will I succeed or will I fail? And what you learn is you'll, all you have to do is just take a step and let it, let it be and then see what you learn and then take the next step and see, see the next step. We're going to help any advisory firm within our skill limitation. We're going to help any advisory firm, no matter size or structure, get to where they're going to go. And usually they're focusing on either growth, profitability, or uh, maximizing valuation. 
And we can assess those firms and figure out where the best ROI is and help them do that. Or if the firm is stuck, which is usually the case of the mid-sized firms, we can get them unstuck pretty quickly. Uh, that takes a little bit of a lot, a lot more leadership trust, but we can right. we can get them out. And the goal is to just keep them going wherever. And is is by mid? Do you mean like less than a billion? So where was the company focused was primarily on revenue. So a mid-sized firm would somewhere now be between mm-hmm. two and ten million. Okay, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in the middle. So. And talk to us a little bit about Herber's Academy. Herber's and Company Academy has been quite a journey. So I want you to know that Herber's and Company Academy was created out of, to be real frank about it, I was mad. <laughs> really? I was mad. Okay. I was, the reason I was mad is because I had an advisor who, came to Herbers and Company and they needed consulting advice. And they they said right up front, we need to know, you know, what are all your conflicts? Are you getting, is Herbers and Company getting paid by tech firms to make a recommendation? <laughs> is, oh, you wow. know, is what what's happening? Are you guys just a sales consulting firm? Are you selling advisors stuff? And Herbers and Company is, I've tried very hard to keep, keep Herbers and Company the least amount of conflicts as possible. Our, you know, our only line item on our PL is consulting direct, directly paid by the advisory firm. Mm. And what had happened in this particular individual's case is he had went to get some help and they were pressuring him to sell his firm. And that's not what he wanted to do. What he wanted to do was grow his firm. And the advice that he was given was all about fear. It was all all about, here's how you need to structure. We have a consolidation problem going on. We have all of these fears were within this individual. And I got mad. Mm. (laughs) It's like this was not objective advice. Independent advisory firms were built on fiduciary, independent, objective advice. And here we have leaders and advisors that aren't even getting what they have stood behind themselves. And Herbers and Company Academy became just a mission to get information out there, education out there, however you want to interpret it, that is faster than what the industry is getting one-on-one. So what I did is I started just recording, you know, presentations, speaking engagements, what I've seen, what I've learned, and I threw them up on an education platform. And by golly, people started to buy them. And I thought, oh, okay, well, this is interesting. (laughs) So we ended up with over a thousand advisory firms who bought some of the education programs. And then I pulled back. I The consulting business started to grow even more, bringing in Jared and Brandon. And then Brandon came along. <laughs> Brandon. Let's talk about Brandon for a minute. 
for some reason, Brandon latched onto Herperson Company Academy. And he is, he's like, we are innovating this and we're doing something with it. And I, and for me at first, it was just to me, to me, it was, I got angry and I just started giving education out there. And Brandon felt like it was something more. So we have some very exciting news coming out about Harbison Company Academy. Wow. <laughs> That's yes. amazing. This is this is awesome. Okay. I'm listening. Yes. So you're the first to know, but Herberson Company Academy was completely re-engineered. It was put on an app where you can get your direct questions answered from our senior consulting team via a virtual environment. You can get all of the education uh, that is available at Harbors and Company. You can get all of our tools and our templates, and you can join a community that believes in helping each other in a way of servicing each other, not taking from each other. Mm. So what Brandon <laughs> encouraged me to do is begin with one education program every other week and get on there and start talking. And I did. And over the last year, he put it all together in a Herbers and Company app. Wow. That is fantastic. Congratulations. Thank you. That is, you know, truly innovative using today's technology your whole idea of creating these teams and making your knowledge accessible, scalable, all of your intel, having it directly at advisors' fingertips. That is amazing. The um, Herbers and Company Academy is there for people to learn, yeah. take what they want, leave what they don't want. We are just going to serve. Yeah. That's what we're going to do. And I think that it's just a good opportunity for, for everyone um, to. Wow. I love it. We'll be directing our clients as well. I assume that it's a subscription model type pricing. It is. It is subscription model. It's $89 a month. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. So wrapping up, I have a couple more questions for you. I think we talked about what that first move is is going to make. One of the questions was, hey, what are some tips right now? Was there anything that I failed to ask you that maybe that I should have asked you in talking about this whole idea of just bringing your practice to a new level and examining yourself from the inside out? Well, I know a lot of people say this, but people make, I feel like a lot of people make um, it hard on themselves. I certainly have been there. <laughs> hard making change work for them. And, you know, I have been told this throughout my career. I tell clients this, I tell, you know, our team at Herbers and Company this, this, but all you have to do is show up. Mm. You don't have to have the answers. You don't have to have the best decisions. You don't have to worry about success or failure. You don't have to worry about money, revenue, money, revenue, profit, or valuation. Mm. You just have to show up and ask yourself, what matters here? And what can we do better? And if you stay focused on those two questions, without a doubt, without a doubt, I know 
you will hit the stars. You're listening to In The Suite, a podcast that shares amazing stories of women in business in the financial services and the wealth management industry. Our producers are Tina Powell and Kevin Hershorn. Our editor-at-large is Kevin Hershorn. Our content writers are Dimple Rashandani, Sarah Smirker, and Tina Powell. Our research and technical assistants are Rachel Powell and Sarah Smirker. In The Suite podcast is sponsored by C-Suite Social Media, a digital marketing and social media agency for C-Suite leaders and companies in finance and technology. You can visit c-suitesocialmedia.com to learn more. And thank you so much for listening and subscribing and giving us five-star reviews. We are so, so grateful to you. We've got listeners in 653 cities and 40 countries. Thank Thank you, U.S., Canada, Japan, U.K., France, Oregon, Georgia, California, Ohio. This podcast was inspired by you and created for you, ladies. So please let us know how you enjoyed this episode with Angie Herbers and share your thoughts on LinkedIn and Twitter, hashtag in this week. You can connect with Angie on Twitter at Angie Herbers, LinkedIn, and visit her website, AngieHerbers.com to learn more and to sign up for the mobile app. As always, if you would like to share the name of a rock star woman in financial services we should interview in 2021, please send it to me at tina at inthesweetpodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening and subscribing to In The Suite.